Well, let's stand together. I want to read to you one verse. Just one verse, our focus for this morning. We start a series that will go five, six weeks or so. The title of the series is The Priority of Prayer. And to this morning, I want to preach from 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. It's not a long verse. It's succinct. But if we got the grace to hear and ears to hear, as Jesus often says, <clears throat> we'll see that this is a very much a needed verse in our day. I want you to know that this is a verse for you. It's for us. We'll talk about more in a moment, but also for you. I want you to really think about this verse. So it's verse Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that because of Jesus, now no condemnation do we dread. Our eternal life is secured in him. But I also pray this morning that for, for right now, right now, this season of our lives, this season for our church family, that we'll hear what you want to say to us from your word. God, help us to hear it accurately and to be willing to obey, to move some things around in our lives, to, to have some dramatic changes, and also perhaps in response to your word to have some things that we might call little changes, some little adjustments in response to your word. Again, I simply ask God for you to do some things among us that only you could do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was hoping this morning uh, to walk out and feel the nice, cool fall weather, right? But kind of mad face-to-face with the humidity. I mean, we couldn't even see out the windows in the foyer. The windows are all fogged up. And I love the fall. I love the cooler weather. I know some of you are all about the summertime and the beach and the kicking off your shoes and so on. I love the colder weather. And one of the things that we like as a family uh, is the cooler weather because we get out our fire pit, right? Anybody with me? Anybody? tracking with me this was fire pit and uh, not this past week but the week before when the evening hours came it got cool enough for us to get our fire pit out and our family loves the fire pit Abel loves to collect uh, limbs and <clears throat> some other stuff and I, I, I got to be the filter of what actually can go into the fire pit and and then we get that fire going and it's awesome when the fire goes fire does two things as we're around the pit one it obviously sends out light right we can see things and it also provides heat, right, that we can, especially on a cool night, it's nice to kind of get right there by the, by, the, by the fire. And so what I want us to do is just have that image in our mind, thinking about that metaphor, as it were, that our church exists for the same two things, that we send out light, the light of the gospel, and heat at the same time. We ought to be a people that as we proclaim the gospel, people can see the truth, but at the same time, at the same time, they have the warmth of the gospel, meaning that they are encouraged and loved and their needs are provided for, that the fire, as it were, is for light and heat. Well, my my, my uh, primary point this morning is for the fire to do what it needs to do, it's real simple, but it's true, it has to get lit. Now, can you, can you imagine how silly it would be for us I mean, we do some silly things as a family, but we haven't got to this level. 
If we sat out by the fire pit and Abel has put the, the wood there and we got the straw and other things and, and, and we just sat out there around an unlit fire pit. It's got everything it needs to burn, but it doesn't burn. It needs to get lit. And then what I've also noticed, and, and we all kind of like to have this job too, is as the fire is going, every now and then it has to get prodded, has to get poked, right? It has to get readjusted so that the air can come in and the fire that's almost about to die, right? We'll poke it and prod it, and then all of a sudden it'll come back to, to life. So here's what I would want to uh, proclaim to you and encourage you in this way, how the fire gets lit and how the fire is sustained by poking and prodding is through prayer. Without prayer, we will be as a church, as it were, if we were just around the fire pit, but it's got no light and it's got no heat, right? So prayer, there, there is no substitute for prayer. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 is a verse that I want to use to, as it were, maybe strike the match anew this morning. I want us to focus on this one verse, but it's a powerful verse. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We'll talk about it more in a moment, but this whole paragraph, 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, is a wonderful overview of the Christian life. You probably won't find as succinct and as clear an overview of all the Christian life in the Bible as you will in these few verses. But I want you to notice, where does Peter start? He starts with prayer. Prayer is the match, right, that lights the fire, that provides light and heat. And prayer is also not something that just gets us started, but it's also what sustains us. If not, if not, it's only a matter of time in a church, in a church family's life before the light grows dim and the warmth, which is the love of others, grows cold. From the start of his letter, uh, Peter has been uh, exhorting his audience that uh, the fulfillment of the Christian life really comes in the life that's to come, right? I mean, we're in 1 Peter 4, 7, but I just want to point out how he begins the letter. If you're in 1 Peter, turn with me to the very first chapter, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Friends, what kind of mercy does God have? great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's just right in line with what we sang. You alone can rescue. We don't rescue ourselves. We don't heal ourselves. We didn't raise ourselves to life. He did it. And he's raised you up, verse 4, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So I just want you to see from the get-go, Peter is pointing us to the life that is to come. Now, just real quick, is your focus primarily on this really brief, momentary life, or is your focus on the life that is to come? That's the same question, quite frankly, of asking, are you a praying, prayerful, hopeful, eyes-focused-on-Jesus kind of person? Now, some are quick to say, how can it be that Peter would say the end of all things is near right peter wrote this 2000 years ago but just a encouragement for you if you're in first peter just turn over here to second peter chapter 3 verse 8 
Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, and the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient for you, patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So yes, on one hand, we would say, how could he say the end of all things is near? He said that 2,000 years ago, but in another way, this is a couple of days. It's just a couple of days, and the end is near nobody nobody's going to get to the end of their life and say man that felt like it went on forever everybody everybody will say man it went like that went like that because every person in this room you're made for eternity a couple Sunday nights ago we used the illustration but just use it again I've always loved the center beam up at the top right when I look at it I always think to myself especially when I'm preaching that I hope whoever put those speakers up there really knew what they were doing but then also the center beam right there uh, let's just, it's already going to be an inappropriate metaphor, but just hang with me. Just pretend that that beam represents your whole existence from the moment you were born and then all the way into eternity. What portion of that beam do you think would represent your life on earth? Here's what we'd have to do we'd have to get a little sharpie, right? And you'd have to get to the very beginning of the beam and just put a little dot there. That's it. Even if you get. 90, 100, 110 years, even if you're Methuselah, right? What is a handful of decades in comparison to billions and billions and billions of years? That's why we love to sing that song when we've been there 10,000 years. I always start quoting and then forget it, but you know how it goes. It's amazing grace. We'll have no less time than when we first begun or something to that effect, right? As Peter's saying, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Peter was there when Jesus would tell parables to the effect of when the master comes back, you want to be ready. Remember, uh, we won't turn there. It's in Luke uh, chapter 12 where Jesus tells a parable about the master returns. And the master comes back when the servants aren't uh, expecting him, right? And the, the gist of the, uh, the parable is... Uh, they want to be behind the closed doors and the locked doors. They want to be prepared for when the master arrives. Has anybody ever come to your house and you weren't quite ready for them to show up? Ever have a visitor unexpectedly? I don't want to go into too many details about our home, but mainly because of me. Sometimes our, our house, somebody will knock on the door. And by the way, I want to say, I mean, I, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting to look. No, I'm not, not, not real. I'm just teasing. <laughs> You're welcome to come to our house anytime. That's not the point of this. I want you to come. But you know what it's like. Well, let me reverse. Let me just start all over. Just delete. Just forget it. I've been to some people's houses, and I knock on the door. It wasn't long ago I was uh, making a visit, um, not to anybody that's here present. Nobody. This wasn't anybody that's actually here. And knock on the door. And as soon as I knock on the door, I hear this behind the door. Shh. <laughs> Heard it. I'm standing there, and I kind of wanted to say, I heard that. Do you want, do you want me to be quiet? And, and then I just kind of stand there for me. And then I hear, some people are just loud whispers, I guess. And then I hear, if we stay quiet, he'll just go away. <laughs> what he said. Uh, the master's coming, y'all. And he's coming soon. Are we ready? Do you know what the number one indicator of your preparedness for his return? Do you know what it is? It's what he's saying. You've got to be self-controlled. You've got to be sober-minded. Think about those words, self-controlled and sober-minded. 
your thinking and your doing. That's what he's getting at. What you're thinking about and how you're living. Is there any way that you're thinking or doing that you would want to keep behind the door? Do you know what I'm saying? I don't want anybody to see that. Got news for you. He proves this after the resurrection. He can walk right through a locked door, right? There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. Peter says that elsewhere. And we're not trying to scare anybody, but it is a, a, a the, the end is near. It's impending. Friends, I think we'd all recognize we can't keep going the way we're going. I mean, just think about this one week in the life of our nation. We cannot keep going this way. We're demonstrating that we are, as a people, we are not sober-minded. We are not self-controlled. But the people of God need to be defined by their prayerfulness. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. That's prepared mentally and morally. And the rest of this paragraph, we'll just read it together, and I think you'll agree with me what a wonderful overview this is of the Christian life. Just read it. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, right? That's when the fire is warm to other people, since love covers a multitude of sins. We're to be marked by initiative-taking love. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 9, by not grumbling, but we're quick to show genuine hospitality, really care about each other. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In your Christian life, you're to use the gifts that God has given you to build others up and to serve one another. To not think of church as a place where you're served, but a place where you serve. Whoever speaks is one who speaks of oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we put it this way, 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11 is indicative of when the fire is going, the light is shining, the warmth is provided, but the match is prayerfulness. The match is prayerfulness. Who's writing this, by the way? Peter. Do you remember there was a time when Peter was not prayerful? Do you remember there was a time where Peter was not sober-minded or self-controlled. Uh, hold your spot in 1 Peter and turn back with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. I'm so thankful that in the Bible we have so many details of Peter's life recorded. I mean, is, is, uh, is Peter the one who confesses, Thou art the Lord, the Son of the living God? And Jesus quickly says, Simon of Arjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father... Or is Peter the one who, to whom Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, right? Is, is Peter the one who denies Jesus by the fire, or is Peter the one who preaches at Pentecost? The answer is what? Yes. And I'm so thankful that Peter's in the Bible, right? Because he's so true to life. He's so true to us. He's so true to our experience. We, we, we'll say that on the front end because we've all had days like Peter. And what is contrasted in the verses we're about to read is Peter's unfaithfulness contrasted with Jesus' faithfulness. And friends, our hope is not on the basis of our merit or our performance or we did everything right or we were always self-controlled or we were always sober-minded. The end of all things is at hand and when it all ends, our hope is that Jesus, the one who hung on the cross for our sins, is the one who's coming back for us. So Mark chapter 14, verse 32. When they went to a place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter. Okay, so Peter's there, James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And Jesus said to them, 
My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. It's a powerful scene, isn't it? Here's Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the blessed privilege it would be to pray with Jesus? But I would want you to know that you've got no less a privilege in your life today than Peter had with Jesus in the garden. When you pray, you are praying with Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ, praying to the Father through the Spirit in the name of the Son. So here's Jesus in verse 35, going a little farther. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We've gone into greater detail at other times than we will this morning, but what we see here is Jesus agonizing over the understanding that he was about to face God's wrath, God, his Father's righteous wrath against sin. And that's why he's agonizing. Not so much about the physical pain, although he endured a great uh, a bit of it. It was the wrath of God against sin, the spiritual pain, if that's the right way of saying it. So he's asking them to pray. Verse 37, he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Have you ever been called sleeping when you ought not to and try to play it off? I mean, it's probably what's happening for Peter. I'm not going to do it right now. I'm just teasing nobody to sleep. Could you not watch one hour? Could you not watch one hour? Could you not watch one hour? We're going to come back to this in a couple of weeks, but I want this question to resound in you. Could you, could you, could you not watch one hour? hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, now it's one thing if it happens once, right? Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Not sober-minded, not self-controlled. It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us get, be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, real quick, we're going to see what happens. Just real quick in the, in the next couple of scenes, Peter does two things. And I want to suggest to you this morning that what Peter does after his prayerlessness are the two things that in time prayerless people and prayerless churches will do. Okay? So Peter was asked to watch and pray. Jesus is agonizing, knowing that he's about to face the wrath of God. But Peter falls asleep. He's not self-controlled. He's not sober-minded. But then he's going to respond, and he's going to have some actions that come. Right? So here we go. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs with the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man, seize him, and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, from the other Gospels, we won't turn there at this time. We're told who the one is who gets his sword out and swings it. Who's the one who gets his sword out? And, oh, a fight's coming, it's on, and swings. And again, I don't think he's going for the ear. I think he's going for the head. But if somebody swung a sword at your head, what would you do? Ear. 
prayerless Peter, this is his first action. You already know what the second action is, right? He does it not once, not twice, but three times. Verse 66, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. He denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. He went into the gateway and the rooster crowed. The servant's girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man's one of him, but he again denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders came and said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he made to invoke a curse on himself, talk about not being self-controlled or sober-minded, and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So let me just say this. We have in Peter's actions the two most likely things that a person or a church who are not prayerful will succumb to. The first is to quickly adopt a violent political agenda in place of loving service. And the second is that when things get tough, they will simply deny Christ. That's what is happening and will happen to churches who try to substitute something for prayer. So I want to give you three quick things that's there on your outline. And first of all is this, basing this primarily on 1 Peter 4, 7. And by the way, isn't it good news? It's just like God, isn't it? Who is God going to use to proclaim in the Bible to be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers, but the one who, when he was in the garden, and by the way, the primary source for the gospel of Mark, guess who it is? Is Peter, right? And don't you think, I mean, I don't want to, I, I want to be careful with imagining, but don't you think when Peter is inspired of the Holy Spirit and he's sitting down, he's writing this verse, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Don't you just think his mind's got to go back to when he was in the garden? And, and the whole point of it is, while he, while Peter was asleep, and while Peter couldn't be trusted, and while Peter wasn't faithful, and while Peter was denying Jesus all the way through, Jesus was faithful. Jesus was strong. Jesus doesn't deny Peter, but goes to the cross to pay for his sins. It is amazing grace. So here, now, Peter, an opportunity to give us encouragement, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So first of all, just write this down. A prayer is the primary indicator of having a relationship with God and the health of that relationship. Prayer is the practice that we have, that we really can't counterfeit, that, uh, that, that we really can't um, mimic. It. It's either real or it's not, right? I mean, uh, it's true that you could regularly attend church and not have a relationship with God. Do you know that's true? It can happen. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus says on that day, when the end of all things is at hand, many people will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and do that? And do that? They don't mention that they ever prayed, but. <laughs> so prayer is the primary indicator. Friends, I want to lovingly tell you that the clearest indicator of your faith and your walk with the Lord is your prayer life. So how has that been this past week? 
A lack of prayer either means a lack of a relationship with God at all, or that the relationship is unhealthy. So we can attend church, we can give, we can sing. There's so many wonderful things that we can do. But the one clear indicator, the one clear practice that's not faked is do we really seek his face? Do we really want to know him? Do we really love him? Is being with Jesus the great desire of our souls? Secondly, we need to know that prayer is the main area of attack in our Christian lives. The enemy, friends, does not care what we do so long as we don't pray. The enemy does not care about our resources, our programs, latest technology. I mean, you just go on and on. But he does care about whether or not we pray. Now, real quick, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. And I want to highlight something that will become very obvious as we read these verses. Acts chapter 1, verse number 13. This is after the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father, where the Bible tells us his primary act is to make intercession for us. Jesus is praying. Uh, when, when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James. Isn't that amazing? Those are the first three names. Same guys that were so prayerless back in the garden. But here they are. God is the God of second and third chances. Amen. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. And these with one accord were devoting themselves to, help me out church, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, uh, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, remember what I told you, that uh, the enemy doesn't care what we do as long as we pray? They've been praying, so he tries to uh, send a wave of persecution. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. I love how they're praying, and their praying incorporates the scripture. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? You want to help with your prayer list, open your Bible and begin to pray what, it, what he says in his word. Amen? The king of the earth set themselves to the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They began to say, there's something going on here. Let's go to the word of God and see what it says and then pray in response to it. Verse 29, now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness. That's another encouragement. The first thing that goes out the door when we stop praying is our boldness. Put a plug in here that uh, Sunday night, Adrian Rogers, we've been watching some of his sermons. He's going to preach from Acts on prayer in the sermon tonight, so be worth your time. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, as the, uh, as the number of believers were growing, they come up to another hurdle. Uh, we won't go into the details of it, but it says, here's what the apostle says, we will devote ourselves, it's the first thing he says, to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is what the enemy fears. 
because without prayer, without a sincere desire to know God, to seek his face, to draw near to him, friends, we've got a fire pit, but no fire. Prayer was not a program or a department in the church here in Acts, but the very core and culture of the church. As a matter of fact, go too much in it, I don't know that Acts is really the best title for this book. I mean, if we really wanted a, a better title, and I, I'm not trying to, you know, the title of the book's not Holy Spirit Inspired, so it's okay to talk about this for a minute. It ought to be Acts in Response to Prayer. That's really what this book is about. Or prayer that leads to actions. Our problem is that we live in an action-oriented culture, right? Get it done. Lead, follow, get out of the way. Don't just sit there, do something. But in Acts, it, it wasn't... Don't just, don't just do something. It was, we're just going to sit here and we're going to pray. We're going to seek God. We're going to wait on him. We're going to ask him. What prayer does is it reveals that we really understand that apart from him, we can't do anything. Prayerfulness is the opposite of self-sufficiency. And perhaps the greatest problem in the modern American church is a sense of self-sufficiency. We can get this done. Can we agree on something? We cannot get this done. We cannot get this done. We cannot see the dead come to life. We cannot see revival, hearts healed, families healed, apart from him. Now, those in Acts actually believed the Holy Spirit was the how-to. We have far too many other how-tos. Why, why pray for an hour when I can Google it and it'll pop up in three seconds, right? Now, many of us, many of you might be like, man, I'm not a natural prayer guy. I'm not. I have to confess this at times. I, 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 I more readily say, in line with Acts 6-4, that I'm devoted to the Word more than I'm devoted to prayer and the Word. I'm just being honest with you. It's easier for me to study the Bible for an hour than it is to pray for an hour. Prayer is not natural because our... our uh, we're fiercely independent and prayerlessness is my declaration of independence from God but I'll tell you this <laughs> as I do sit and study the Bible you can't get away from it it's on page after page after page after page after page hey uh, just real quick just as a demonstration of that go back with me to Exodus chapter 18 Exodus chapter 18, we, when uh, there was some conflict going on in uh, the New Testament church there in Jerusalem, uh, Peter's response was, we're, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. Um, he says in verse 3, therefore, it's back in Acts, I know I've got you flipping over, but just bear with me. Uh, Acts chapter 6 verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. But we will devote ourselves. So we're going to do a little something. This is going to be fun. In order to say yes to prayer, there's a whole lot in your life you're going to have to say no to. This is going to be fun. I want you to look at the person beside of you and just say no. I want you to, I mean, seriously. Just look at them and say no. Say no. And just say to everybody on your pew. Hey, you say it to me. <laughs> All right. It's not an easy thing to say, is it? It's not an easy thing to say. But here's what happens. 
when we say yes and yes and yes and yes and yes and yes, do you know what's quickly crowded out and put away? What is it? It's prayer, isn't it? It's prayer. Now, see, the, the, the deal is with prayer in church life, it's something we all know we should do, and our, we want our church to be a praying church, but then when it gets down to the actual doing of it, that's what we're talking about, right? So, I just want you to see, I asked you to turn in Exodus 18. They had um, a little bit uh, similar of a situation going on with the people of God in Exodus 18 that they had in Acts 8, right? And uh, so a very wise man named Jethro, he was Moses' father-in-law, comes to Moses and he says, You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. And I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. What's a word you would use for that? Moses, you need to devote yourself to prayer. 20, you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way to which they must walk and what they must do. What's that? The word, right? Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, and fifty. Doesn't that sound real similar, doesn't it? Sounds real similar to what the council was in Acts chapter 6. In both instances, friends, we track them together, in both instances, what was the first thing Moses in Exodus 18 was told to do, and Peter said he and the apostles were going to do. The first word mentioned, or the first... Um, uh, action that they were going to take is that they were going to pray. They were going to pray. So we say this, that prayer is the main area of attack in our Christian lives. Just make, uh, as it's often said, um, a, a chief strategy, the enemy would just make us too busy or distract us. Just anything we needs to do just so long as we don't Pray because prayer is where the power is. Prayer is the match that lights the fire and prods and pokes to keep it going. And the third thing we'll say, and the last, is prayer is not a secondary issue, but it is the priority of life. Friends, we'll never pray if we wait to, we feel like praying, to pray. That's the very reason we must pray, Amen. I want you to turn with me to one more passage of scriptures. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 12. The Apostle Paul mentions a man. Uh, his name's Epaphras. I just want you to see how Paul describes him. My encouragement for us this morning, we're going we're to get a little more specific as the weeks go by in the series. But my hope my prayer, no pun intended, has been that we'll get some matches struck in our hearts this, this morning. But I want you to show you someone in the scripture who's indicative of what I've been trying to talk about. His name's Epaphras, and in Colossians chapter 4, just look at his description. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured, excuse me, in all the will of God. 
For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those who are in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. See his description? Who is it? Who is he? Just an ordinary guy. Epaphras is not an apostle. Epaphras doesn't preach at Pentecost. There's no letter of Epaphras in the, in the scripture. But God had done such an amazing work in Colossae in large measure in response to a praying person named Epaphras. He's one of you. He's a servant. He greets you. It means he cares about you. He's always struggling on your behalf. So what I'm desiring this morning is to call all of us to a renewed commitment to pray. A, new, a renewed commitment to pray. Basically what we're saying is let's pray for prayer, right? It's a strange thing to say, but it's where we have to start. I think it starts with a confession to God. We do not desire, well, we just simply confess we cannot do the work of the church apart from you. So the only, the only enduring motive for prayer, I'm about to tell you what it is. The only enduring motive for prayer is that God is worthy to be sought. I am not, I am, we are not here to, Make you feel, oh, you should pray more and guilty. The only sustaining motive to pray is that deep in your heart, you really believe he is worthy to be sought. He is better than the television. He is better than these distracting sins in my life. I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. And I want to be at Calvary like Epaphras. Prayer is hard work. So in the weeks to come, we will talk more about logistics and strategies, if that's the right way, of, that, that you can be involved, faithfully praying for our church, praying for our city, praying for our world. But I'm today asking you to do something very, very simple. I'm simply asking you to join me in asking God to birth an awakening of prayer here among his people. Let's stand together. And we're going to pray together. And during the invitation, I'm inviting you to pray. I'm inviting you to come seek his face. I'm inviting you to humble yourselves. And I, I, I am in no way, shape, or form wanting to manipulate anything about the invitation. So I'll just keep it succinct and simple. Would you join me in praying? that God would birth an awakening of prayerfulness here among his people. Let's pray together and then we'll sing and respond and pray all the more. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's faithful. There's not anybody here today that, like Peter, couldn't look back at a time in their life where they were not faithful I thank you so much and I pray if there's anybody here today Father that needs the message that Peter understood that you extend grace to us when we repent you restore us you've not thrown the towel in on anybody in this room so Father I pray I pray 
pray for many Epaphrases at Calvary. I pray for an awakening of prayerfulness here. I pray for a 1 Peter 4, 7 lifestyle here. Use this time of invitation. Help us to get some things settled in our hearts. We confess we, we, we don't have the first bit of resources to have a prayer awakening in our own power. And Father, even as we can hear the rain falling down in this place, that's what I'm asking for your spirit to fall among us, to do some things that, that only you could do. You alone can rescue. You alone can bring about what we're asking. So stir our hearts, strike a match, prod and poke appropriately, Lord, that the fire of the gospel at Calvary Baptist Church in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, the light and the heat would go forth. In Jesus' name.